is education is about inspiration, right? Not memorization. Memorization is part of it, but really to inspire students, professors need these insights and they need high quality, engaging content. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Founders in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight through a product lens on some of the exceptional founders we have as part of the LA community in an unedited, one-take, organic conversation. With us today is Stephen Walters. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. Yeah, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors. Founders in LA is brought to you by Nearshore. Nearshore is a trailblazer in Nearshore outsourcing and staff augmentation. There were 15 years of experience offering exceptional Latin American software development, data, product, and design talent for U.S. projects. Nearshore has revolutionized the way companies scale their teams. They stand apart with 50% female leadership and are trusted by companies large and small and have been helping U.S. customers grow since before Nearshoring was cool. Discover how Nearshore can power your tech goals and help you stay lean while scaling fast. Learn more at www.nearsure.com. That's www.nearsure.com. We're also brought to you by Unida. Unida Club is the co-working space that sets itself apart. With locations in El Segundo, Manhattan Beach, and Hermosa, Unida is where creativity flourishes. Unlike traditional offices, they provide an inspiring environment where ideas can thrive and businesses can grow. With Unita, there's no hidden fees, flexible terms, options for dedicated offices, and unlimited access to conference rooms, a photo studio, this podcast studio, plus standard 3D printers, and 24-7 access in any of their locations. They're local champions who support neighborhood businesses, open their event spaces to nonprofits, and celebrate art, music, and culture. Join Unita Club and experience co-working like never before. Learn more at www.unita.club. That's www.unita.club. U-N-I-T-A dot club, C-L-U-B. Our guest today is Stephen Walters. He's the co-founder and chief content officer at Breakout Learning. Stephen, could you just give us a 30-second description of Breakout? Absolutely. So Breakout Learning is the world's first ever AI-enabled educational publisher. Um, so what we do is, is we create engaging content that tees up small group discussions that happen on our AI powered platform. Um, you know, if you look at what's happened in the world of education over the past hundred plus years, you know, we've had very few innovations. Uh, where we started was, you know, a group of students sitting around a table, the Harkness method, it was called, very little professor intervention. These, these students engaged in a conversation that was meant uh, to, to, to reach for critical thinking, right? But we've moved away from that. The inventions that we've seen, the textbook, the Scantron, standardized learning, these innovations have moved us away from critical thinking and towards uh, rote memorization of facts. And so we think that that leads to a lot of the polarization that we see in society. We think that leads to a lot of the systemic problems we see, certainly in our education system and uh, breakouts here to, uh, to scale the Harkness method, to bring small group discussions back. That's great. And, you know, uh, it's been about a million years since I was in college, but when, when I was doing that, you know, for me, one of the important aspects was, uh, you know, it was professor to student ratio at that time. Or for me, uh, I just knew it even at that moment that it was important for me to be in a, a smaller group when doing the learning for the interaction. It's, um, you know, for, for everything that I've learned on YouTube, uh, it's not 
my best medium for learning and it really was coming together with other folks and learning is how did you how, how did you find breakout as your point for success how did you determine this was the the place to start you know go, well do you start somewhere else you know ethan i mean a lot of people feel the way i'll answer your question in just a minute but a lot of people feel the way that you feel about learning and being in a small group is is you know the studies and the data show it's it's one of the most effective forms of learning the problem is is it doesn't scale right i mean if you're in a class of 50 or 100 you, you're not going to get a lot of airtime, and so there's no there's no format for you to test out your ideas or your thoughts or to really engage in the process and so a lot of people choose silence you know if you talk to professors around the country that's what they'll tell you they'll tell you that their students don't want to talk right they don't want to engage you know they find the old method of learning you know, reading a, a static PDF or textbook, writing up a paper on it, coming to class to hear a lecture, they, they find it pretty uninspiring. Um, and as a measure of critical thinking, with the advent of ChatGPT, really a, 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 a reading an assignment and writing a paper about it is sort of a meaningless exercise. Um, so breakout answers for that as well. We put small group discussions at the center of our learning and we use uh, our AI-powered platform to moderate and assess those discussions. And we use engaging, dynamic storytelling and content to tee up those discussions. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, just to, just to answer your question, I mean, you know, what, what brought me to Breakout Learning, you know, my, my background is as a storyteller, right, and a creative entrepreneur. Um, I, you know, I, I started a theater company in Texas in my early 20s. You know, I've, I've, I lived in L.A. off and on for many years. I had a career as a you know, TV actor and a TV writer and entertainment was really where I cut my teeth uh, as a, as in my professional career. Um, and so for me, it was teaming up with my co-founder and the CEO of the company, Ramit Varma, who has, you know, 25 years in the ed tech space that really brought breakout learning to, to fruition. You know, it was it was sort of my my storytelling, my love of storytelling and my desire to use stories to teach curriculum really resonated with Ramit, his desire to sort of innovate and revolutionize the way we teach and learn. Um, those two things brought us together. Um, and then, of course, when we found our, our third co-founder, our technical co-founder, Josh Oster-Morris, uh, who has a, a deep background in, in AI and machine learning, um, that's when I think the sort of like three pillars of the business really came together. And, you know, what what we were aspiring to do really crystallized. Has has AI played a part in the storytelling that you guys are doing in, in terms of of the learning exercises you're doing? How, where does the AI fit into to the- Yeah, so, so the AI is really not on the content side of it as much as it is on the assessment side, right? So we use, we use AI uh, in our proprietary software to uh, moderate and assess these discussions that happen on our platform. So it's, it's really kind of a new format for learning. You know, it's like, we're, we're basically saying, hey, we're replacing the written assignment in the research paper. And instead of doing a written assignment in a research paper, you know, why not meet up in small groups, watch dynamic, engaging content that's often, but not always driven by quality storytelling. That hooks the student's interest. Then you've got them, right? Now you just have to drive the story to a critical decision point. And then you ask the students to evaluate and analyze what they would do if they were in that situation. And that's where our, our software really does its magic is that the AI is able to give the professor insights on the aggregate group and individual level into what's happening in those discussions that are happening outside of the classroom, right? So we're kind of replacing homework. We're, we're, we are replacing this older format of learning that hasn't evolved with time and technology, right? And the truth is, is we, we often say, 
you know, we're, we're not the disruptors, right? Technology is the disruptor. But what we're trying to do actually is to arm teachers and professors with the tools that they need to sort of fight back against this, this wave of AI that's kind of breaking the old systems and uh, rendering a lot of it obsolete. Yeah, no, and that was, uh, I know that was a big question in early 2023, as soon as ChatGPT became popularized and people recognized, hey, it's able to write me a 2000 word essay on, you know, fill in the blank subject. Uh, what does that look like for colleges? So was it, was it more of a kind of a response to that, to that world or like, how, how did you guys find yourselves evolving last year? It seems like that was a kind of a- Yeah, you know, we we predated this sort of what I'll call the kind of wave, the ChatGPT OpenAI wave. Um, we had always had moderated small group discussions at the core of our business. It's just that, you know, in, in late 2022, the scope of what we could do just, it, it just went 10X immediately overnight. You know, I remember us talking in the early days about how great it would be if we could, if we could measure talk time, you know, like if we could tell professors that there were certain students that were talking too much, well, now that almost seems trite compared to what we can, we can do now and the level of sophistication and the technology. Um, but it's important to note that, you know, a lot of, a lot of Silicon Valley ed tech companies are, are in the business of disintermediation, right? They're, they're, they're trying to replace the professor, but that's, that's not what we're about. We, we reject that. We think that, in the face of this technology, we don't want to replace professors. Like I said, we want to arm professors with the technology so that they can have better insights into their students' learning, so they can have more data and information about their students' learning and about where they are in that learning journey. You know, the, the Atlantic put this article out that it said something to the effect of like, you know, there's an arms race on college campuses and professors are losing. And that's in reference to, to artificial intelligence and to, to AI and ChatGPT in particular. Our, our, our philosophy is we want to give professors the tools to fight back. What, what's you, you touched on something pretty that I'd love to learn more and double click into. It seems interesting. You know, you mentioned talk time as a, an original metric that we're looking like, what are some of the metrics that you guys are utilizing or that professors are asking for uh, using? Yeah. Your- soft, soft skills are a big part of it, but it's, it's also, um, you know, how the student comports themselves in a group context, how they conduct themselves. But, but also the, I think the main thing is the learning objectives, right? Like, so our, our beachhead for our business, you know, we, we think of ourselves as being a, you know, a, a large scale AI enabled educational publisher. That's, that's where we're headed, but where we are today, our beachhead was in business school. Right. So we actually our our first customer was UCLA Anderson. Um, so we 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 piloted our early content and curriculum pieces at, at Anderson, and then we sort of grew into their ecosystem a little bit. Now we have I think I think over a dozen Anderson professors using us at the undergraduate and graduate levels. Um, but you know, if you look at business school studies, you know they're 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 always they, they fall under a certain discipline. You know, it could be a case study about entrepreneurship. Right. And then underneath that discipline, there's all these foundational business concepts that these cases are meant to sort of ask the students to explore things like, you know, I'm sure you talk about this a lot on the podcast, talking to founders, you know, product market fit, user testing, customer interviews, all these sort of foundational aspects of what it means to be an entrepreneur. Um, our, our software can actually measure not just are the students talking about it, but, but you know, we, we assign a critical thinking score to their discussion. Like how, how high up the pyramid of, of critical thinking did they go? Like, did, did they just remember things from, from the pre-work that they did? Or 
are they actually evaluating and creating and synthesizing information? And that that's that's really valuable to a professor because you know if you just look at a snapshot of the information, you know, let's say you got a hundred kids in your class and they all go off to do this 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 breakout experience. Before they come to hear the lecture, you're going to know, hey, look, only 20% of my students even brought up product market fit. And of the few who did, they all had a low level of understanding of how it related to this particular case. So what that does is that lets that professor know, okay, that, that's an area that I need to really focus in on and spend in-class airtime on because it's a place where my students are weak. Uh, conversely, if you notice that there's a theme where a lot of your students are doing great, you can cold call, you know, we can surface to you, hey, this particular student had a really insightful comment about uh, user testing. And you can call them out. You can say, hey, Gabriella, I noticed that you had this really insightful comment. Why don't you share it with the group? So it really does give, it makes the professor something of a mind reader. Um, and, and that's what we're all about. You know, our, our philosophy, our sort of tagline, if you will, is education is about inspiration, right? Not memorization. Memorization is part of it, but really to inspire students, professors need these insights and they need high quality, engaging content. You know, this is the TikTok generation, right? I mean, you know, reading is important and that should always be a, a fundamental central part of education. But if you really want to engage a student, the best way to do it is to use storytelling and dynamic content, because when a student's hooked in to a story or to a piece of content that's engaging, suddenly their third eye is wide open. And suddenly it becomes much easier to connect concepts to the idea of, of human want and need as they see it expressed in a story or a circumstance or in a piece of content. Um, so these are the things that, I mean, as you can tell, gets me really excited to talk about, but but these are also the things that we're hearing from our customers that really works about our product. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Uh, there's just two points I'd love to just, just tap into. You know, first is looking back to, you know, in a former life, I was a, uh, a professor, a visiting lecturer at UC Santa Cruz, at UCLA, and thinking back to how I graded, and I definitely did most of the grade was via, you know, essays. So that's kind of out the window now. Uh, and part of it was, you know, there was some class participation, but that was, a, that was kind of a much fuzzier thing. So it's really interesting to hear how you are approaching class participation more as kind of a fuzzy 15% of your grade, but it's ridiculously subjective to actually putting a rubric around, hey, critical thinking, we can measure critical thinking skills. Uh, but the other really fascinating piece that I think you guys are tapping into, which is be interesting is I just have a sense and this is, there's no backing. This is all anecdotal, but it feels like the generation that's in college right now, they're of uh, a, a generation where there's just like, I don't call it shyness, but hesitancy to speak out loud or speak in public. And yet it's the same generation that really enjoys likes and shares in social media. And it's almost, uh, I almost can think of a, a scenario where the professor is talking about something in class and their ability not to call out the student and say, Hey, when you share what you did, but if they could pull up a quote from a discussion and play that back, uh, it almost, I don't, no, no science behind this at all, but it almost feels like there could be something to that where the students like, Oh, that's, I got quoted or, Oh, look, look at me up there. It's like a, it's like a yeah. in-person class version of a like, where you get yeah. Yeah. quoted and it's less pressure than, Hey, 
you know, hey, Stephen, what did you think about this? Would be all of a sudden, oh no, I'm called on. It almost like reverses the trend of, of, of pride in it. We're like, oh, they they like what I said, but I didn't have to be put on the spot. And I don't know if it's better or worse, but I can see how there's there's something to that, and I could see how professors would would try it, and I could absolutely see how students would latch onto that. Yeah, I, I think you make some really, really excellent points. I mean, uh, what, what we've observed is, uh, uh, you know what, I'll use a, something a professor said as an example. Uh, Robert Siemens, a professor at NYU Stern, um, we, we built a case, uh, a game theory case, a strategy case around the sort of patent dispute between Apple and Samsung, and Robert piloted it in his class. And his biggest piece of feedback, I mean, he, he loved the experience and, um, you know, was had a lot of really, really great things to say, but he said to him, th the biggest value proposition was that the shy students were ready to speak up when they came to class. And, and I think it's because similar to what you just said, I think when you have a platform to hear other people's thoughts and opinions, share your own, almost test out what it is that you're thinking, and, and you receive positive and negative feedback, it, it causes you to sort of further formulate your thoughts and go higher up that critical thinking pyramid. And, and so I think if you engage in that process of conversation, then you're you're more willing to speak up in the classroom because you if you were going to fall on your face, you've already done it in sort of a private forum, right? Um, if you had something really insightful and smart to say, you've already been sort of, you've already seen the likes, we'll call them, the signals from your peers in that intimate setting to let you know to keep going. And so, so when that subject comes up during the in-class lecture, you're going to raise your hand, Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, incentives for the students to want to participate. But but the one that you brought up is really interesting. The idea that if I say something that that's really insightful, if I say something that really reaches up into the creative level of critical thinking, my professor might just call call it out in class is is almost like a a super like you know. Uh, I I think that's cool too. And and we hope as we as our software continues to develop, we want to be more. Um, we, we, we want to go deeper down the sort of uh, rabbit hole of, uh, of of giving students critical feedback about how they comport themselves. You know, we're just sort of scratching the surface of what's possible there. So these soft skills are going to be uh, really critical as well. Yeah, I, I can see um, a not too distant world where you could create like a, a highlights of a discussion forum. Um, there's there's tools out here to do it for podcasts already. So it, it wouldn't be a far stretch for you guys to like take those discussions and find like the, the best clips. We are, we are already doing that. Our software does that today. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're really far down the road. I mean, we're, we're definitely out of, you know, far, far, far out of MVP mode and, you know, we're into sort of like, you know, scale mode, which is great. Um, but you know, the, the, the part of the process where we were really crystallizing our product was also really fun and exciting. And, you know, it, it was a lot of trial and error. There were a lot of mistakes, you know, we tripped and fell many, many times. Um, you know, it's, our, our story is not too different from any other entrepreneurial story that you'll hear about, right? We we kind of followed the playbook as far as, you know, beta testing into user testing, driving towards an MVP, using customer discovery interviews to, to sort of crystallize our, our value proposition uh, and to sort of, you know, line up what we thought was product market fit before we scaled. I mean, we kind of we kind of did it by the book and that's not surprising. You know, my, my background as a storyteller, you know, I have a, a degree in theater, and a minor in communications, but Ramit has a has I believe a, a undergrad. I believe he studied engineering, but he has a master's degree in business. Our head of sales has a master's in business. Our head of marketing has a master's in business. So I, I'm really the only non 
business guy in the C-suite. But that's also what makes Breakout so cool is that we're this, you know, with this sort of, um, you know, we call ourselves, you know, the, the, the Pixar of education, right? We're bringing together high quality content, high quality storytelling, foundational instructional design and technology to create our version of, of cinematic magic, right? Which is, which is AI enabled curriculum. Do you how as you were building as you're going by the book? How, did you do you recall at what moment you decided, hey, it's time to start selling? And how, how did you find those first customers? You know, the the first customers we reached out into our personal networks. Like like I mentioned earlier, we did a beta uh, with a professor at Anderson UCLA named uh, Dan Nathanson. Um, Dan piloted a beta of our of our learning format, and he did it before we even had the software built. I mean, we built a mock-up of it in Google Slides, right? And so we went into the classroom and, you know, it was a little embarrassing. I mean, I felt like I needed to apologize for the quality of the content. Um, and we got kicked in the teeth by these students, you know, and and by Dan and by a couple of the TAs, um, you know, but that's how you learn, right? Like you, you, you get kicked in the teeth, but you also hear in the Venn diagram of everybody's feet, thoughts, opinions, and, and, and their feedback, you start to see a path forward. Right, you start to see a path ahead, and if you listen, it's it's there for you. So that's 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 what we did. Um, that led us to uh, you know build a sort of beta, which we then put into our software. We we kind of took the feedback that we were hearing from the users. Um, I don't want to say it was a couple hundred students that that interacted with our our sort of uh, our pre-beta. With our beta, it was probably about twice that. You know, we started to build towards uh, our MVP. Uh, it took us about nine months to go from the sort of pre-beta to the MVP. And in the process of doing that, we, we interviewed, I mean, must be hundreds of college business school professors, both to both to tell them about the business that we were building, but also to find out what they liked about it or didn't like about our product. And we did demos with all of them along the way. So, you know, I mean, we, we, we sort of through trial and error, through data, right? We followed the data. We followed the the recurring themes and the feedback that we were hearing and we crystallized the product. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's always this, this balance, right. Between being responsive to what you're hearing, but also trusting your instincts. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're in like a, you know, big, wide open blue ocean, and in many ways we are, you know, we don't necessarily have any direct competitors. Now there are companies we are competing with, right. Like Harvard business review for case studies, the case study center for case studies, Big publishers, you know, the old school publishers, McGraw-Hill, H&H, all those companies, they are certainly competitors of ours, but we're nothing to them today, right? Like we're just, a, we're not even a blip on their radar today, but, it, you know, we're leading in a new direction. We're going somewhere they're not going necessarily, not in the exact same way. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're always balancing, okay, the feedback you're hearing, some of it is going to be from people who are not going to be early adopters, some of it's going to be from people who are never going to use your product. And, and so sussing out like, who's your customer? Who's, who's, who's the person that's going to want this? That's, that's, it's difficult, you know? Um, and for me, my background as a creative entrepreneur was in the, you know, the art sector, the not-for-profit sector in particular, right? So it's like, that's a very different, that's a very different experience to build a not-for-profit, right? That's about what are, what's my mission? How can my mission function in the community that I exist in? And how can I build a base of, you know, support on the donation and foundation side to sustain that mission? It's very different when you're talking about trying to get somebody to give you money for a product that that they're going to buy. It's it's very, very different for me, very new, but also very exciting. How, how did you 
get that first paying customer. So it sounds like you you, the, you get the beta into UCLA through a personal network and then you're able yeah. to probably leverage that into you know other professors at UCLA and then they have friends other places. Um, but that first the first transaction yeah, it, it was it was convincing our first our first customer, customer number one. It was convincing him that that we were for real. You know, he had to see the software work. He had to see it with the the sort of AI backend functioning properly. He had to see that the content was high quality, that it was pedagogically sound. You know, like we had to we had to we had to put our 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 money where our mouth is, so to speak, and so. You know, it took doing to really get from that really terrible, borderline embarrassing pre-beta that we did to that MVP. It took, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and, and long hours to, to get there. And of course, we're still in that mode, right? Because now we're we're in scale, we're in scale mode, which is, you know, in many respects, uh, an, uh, an even bigger challenge, you know? Yeah. So what's what's next? What, what What's next up? Uh, the challenge you're facing is scale. What, what comes with that? I mean, you know, it's. I, I mean, I think the, the the challenges are familiar. You know, we we're trying to build up our content library. That's our big thing. We're a publisher, so you know, right now we have about you know fifty cases in development. You know, covering all the major discipline areas in business school. I think by May first we'll have around a hundred. I think by I'm sorry, March first we'll have around a hundred. I think by May we'll have around two hundred, and so we'll grow our our case library to a, a, a you know a pretty pretty significant size. Um, side by side with that, you know, we're developing some new initiatives. Like we're not just doing case studies now; we're we're expanding into simulations, which requires you know some software development, things of that nature. Um, and we're looking down the road at you know uh, what's on the roadmap for us as far as uh, feature development and versioning and all those things. Um, but you know, at the core of our business, high quality content, solid instructional design, and technology. You know, so it's. I think the biggest challenge that we face is cultural, to be honest with you. I think we're, we're seeing a, 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 a strong demand for the type of engaging content that we're making and for our platform. I think culturally, it's a challenge because the, my team, as an example, the content team is a very different breed of cat, right? It's, it's you know, the, the content folks speak a different language. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to admit this, that for a while when I talked to folks on the software team, and they talked about the product. I thought they were talking about the thing that we would sell. You know, so, I mean, I don't have a background in SaaS. I don't have a background as a developer or software engineer or any of those things. Neither do the people on my team. And so we speak different languages, right? The, the folks on the software side, the folks on the content side, and even to an extent, you know, the sales and marketing guys. It's it's a, it's an interesting confluence of people with very diverse backgrounds that speak very different languages. Um, you know, it's very unusual for people on my team to interface with sales guys, you know, but that's also, that's the challenge to bring it all together, to align it all behind our, our vision. But that's also what makes it worth doing. That's why it's so much fun, you know, because it's so cool to be in a room with these brilliant software engineers. I mean, our CTO and our co-founder, Josh Oster Morris, I mean, he, he is, he's an impressive gentleman. Ramit Varma is, 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 is very impressive. You know, these guys intimidate me. So that makes me want to level up. Right. Um, same thing with our head of sales. You know, I, I, I admire him so much that makes me want to level up. And I think those feelings are, are mutual. You know, it's like, we, it's like um, we recognize each other's talent and have respect uh, for the things that, that, that we do. Um, I think that makes it fun. It makes it worth doing. And that's, you know, that's the thing I'm the most excited about every day is like figuring out what is our culture going to be? 
You know, like when we align all these things, what, wh who will we be? You know, um, it's, it's a question, but it's a, it's really exciting one to try to answer, you know? Oh, it's great. Yeah. It, it, with any growing company where you have to scale fast, uh, trying to maintain the, maintain the, the culture that you had when you were smaller, when you're bigger is, um, it's a classic challenge. There's, there's a thousand one answers to it, but, uh, it always comes from the interest and the willingness and the the perseverance of the leadership team to, to, to stick to it and, um, find ways to keep it feeling small while yeah. getting big. That's, that's awesome. It's been fun. I mean, it has been, a, it's been a crazy ride so far and I think it's, uh, you know, we're just getting started. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we like to, to, you know, ground things in LA and, you know, having, having, uh, someone who spent time in the industry, I imagine it shouldn't be too hard, but, uh, what is the, what's the most LA moment you've had? It could be tech related. It doesn't have to be. So, okay. I mean, I feel like a little bit like I'm cheating because I technically live in Texas now. Our production studio is in Texas, but here's the thing. Like Breakout Learning is an LA, Texas company. We were born in LA. We have offices in LA and in Texas. So, so it really is like, these are, these are my two homes, Texas and Los Angeles. And you know, it's, it's, it's the two homes of Breakout Learning. Um, I spend a ton of time there, um, and our, my, our CEO and my co-founder, um, Ramit Varma, he lives in, in LA. Um, so, uh, my most LA story is from my previous career as an actor. Uh, I was, I was on, um, a TV series called Friday Night Lights, and I played, uh, the guidance counselor at the high school, a character named Glenn Reed. My character is really infamous because he, he, he gets drunk at a karaoke bar and he kisses coach Taylor's wife. Right. Um, it's, it's this, it's this infamous moment. It's the worst kiss in TV history. I can't even walk because it's so embarrassing for me, but like my character, I, I was in like seasons, you know, two and four, you know, it's like a recurring guest star role. Right. So like fans of the show, diehard fans of the show know who, know who I am. I'm not a famous actor, God, by any stretch of the imagination, but the diehard Friday night lights fans know who I am. They also know my best friend and roommate at the time of the story that I'm about to tell you. His name is Derek Phillips, and he plays a, a, a much bigger character than I play on the show called uh, named Billy Riggins. Um, and Derek and I are in a car driving from our place, which was on uh, Sierra Bonita in that sort of area by the Grove. <laughs> we're, we're driving to go to a restaurant to meet two other cast members, um, the Colette sisters. Uh, Annie Palicki is the actress's name who plays uh, the one Colette sister. And then Stacey Oristano is the actress who plays the other. And they are good friends of me and Derek. You know, you're at my wedding. And I mean, there's good friends, you know, and we are going to meet them at a restaurant and we pull up to a stoplight and I'm in the passenger seat and Derek's in the driver's seat. And I hear this like horn honk. And I look over and it's these like young, it's like two young girls in the car or two young women in the car. I, I roll the window down, they roll the window down and they go, they ask me, they go, are you Glenn Reed from Friday Night Lights? You got to understand like only FNL fans know me and nobody ever comes up to me on the street to recognize me. And, and if they do, I know it's for Friday Night Lights, but I got excited because I realized I could make these girls night. Right. And I said, yeah, I said, yeah, I, sh I sure am. And they said, oh my God. And they started like screaming. They got so excited. And I said, well, if you're excited to meet me, you're about to be even more excited. And then I was like, you know, I was in the car and I like leaned the chair back like that, you know, and they saw Derek in front of the, you know, <laughs> with, his, with his hand on the wheel and he waved at him. And I mean, they shrieked, they were so excited. 
And Derek was like, yeah, we're, I mean, we're on our way to meet the Colette sisters, the Colette sisters. We're on our way to meet Mindy and Tyra. And they just, I mean, we, we made whoever those young women were, we made their night. And that was like my most favorite LA moment, you know, like in a non-cynical way. Ah. It was like that, that was, that was really cool. You know, that we, that we got to, got to see that happen. So that's probably an unusual LA moment story for this podcast, but it's uh it, it's my story, um, you know. So, so if you ever see me walking down the street and somebody is taking a picture with me, they are definitely a Friday Night Lights fan. And actually, they probably hate me because I am one of the most unlikable characters on the show because I kissed the coach's wife drunk at a karaoke bar. So that's my that's my LA moment. Stephen, that is fantastic, and yeah, it is the first on this on this uh, podcast to to be the. <laughs> To be the person in the story, I love it. <laughs> I also appreciate the big reveal, or like, oh, you, you think you're, you think it's great right now. You lean the seat back. <laughs> they were, they were even more excited to see Derek than they were to see me. I, I tell people I'm a recovered actor, right? <laughs> so now, so now I can apply all my energies and creative focus to to making breakout learning a success. But that part of my life was fun too. Oh, I have to imagine if they thought you were messing with them too. Like, oh yeah, we go visit the Colette sisters, and they're like. <laughs> Well, of course, we did not say, do you want to come with us? Because we didn't know who they were. But, you know, that would have probably made their night even more special. I mean, Annie Palicki is, you know, she's she is a true celebrity. And uh, I think that they would have been even more excited to meet her very likely than they were to meet me and Derek. So it's kind of a cute story. It's kind of fun. You know, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for sharing more about breakout learning, Stephen. This is great. Yeah, go to breakoutlearning.com. Check us out. Our, our case library is getting bigger by the day. So if you're a professor and you're listening, hit, hit us up. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Uh, our guest today has been co-founder and chief content officer at Breakout Learning, Stephen Walters. Uh, thanks so much again, Stephen. Ethan, it was a pleasure. Oh, this is great. Um, I'd like to thank again our sponsors, Nearsure and Unita. I'd like to thank you all for listening to us. And if you like what you hear, please smash that subscribe button. Thanks again for joining us. and. We'll catch you next time on Founders in L.A.